Hi, I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and thanks for joining me here today on The Communication Architect. Each week, we'll share content that will empower you to grow your personal leadership capacity through the development of communication competencies that build emotional health and relational resilience. We'll unpack some practical applications of interpersonal, intrapersonal, family, and organizational communication. And we'll connect with stories of transformation that will inspire you to achieve personal and social change. Now, let's build the scaffolding you need to become a communication architect. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, a lifelong homeschooling parent, author, and president of Chula Vista Christian University, a four-year university that centers on mentor-driven, Bible-based, debt-free higher education. If you're new to the show, we're in a season unpacking American education, so be sure to scroll back on my podcast for some tips on breaking free from the toxic traits of the traditional education system. Parents, it is time for us to step up and rescue the next generation. If you haven't heard, my new book, Outsourced, is available in print and on on Kindle and go to outsourcethebook.com, or you can find all of our books, blogs, and podcasts at the bottom of the cvcu.us homepage. Pastors, if you'd like to know more about how you can play a vital role in rescuing the outsourced generation, just go to cvcu.us, that's Chula Vista Christian University, and click the Start an Academy tab. We will have your campus up and running in just four weeks. We have three levels of support for you, church-based support classes, college degree programs, and the Start an Academy program. Just this semester, we launched a very exciting community outreach at our Chula Vista campus as well. That is a tuition-free homeschool support program that is not yoked to a woke government system. Amazing. I know. Check it out at cvcu.us. Since it's Valentine's Day weekend, I wanted to talk a little bit about love and relational connections. Now, the world system has this topic all messed up. We can see the fallout in the trail of broken relationships, the ghosting phenomenon, the attachment crisis, the tragic stats on STDs in the youngest generation. But did you know that there's actually a faith-based formula to friendships and relationships? I know I didn't grow up learning this. In fact, when I was 19 years old, I boarded a plane bound from Miami, Florida, London, England. And on the flight, I penned these very angry words in my journal. I will never fall in love again. Through a series of relational wounds, abuse, and abandonment, I had allowed a layer of ice to settle around my teenage heart, and I was mad. (laughs) I was closed off, but little did I know that the God who ordained every day of my life had prepared for me to meet a young man on the very first day of that trip to England, a man who would melt off that icy crust and become my husband. Maybe you can relate to that feeling. Dr. Henry Morris, who's the founder of Institute for Creation Research, once called it spiritual cardiosclerosis, an intentional hardening of the heart. What are some of the reasons we we close ourselves off to others? Maybe we've been hurt. Maybe we've been wounded. We've lost trust. Maybe we feel like we know better than others, or we have been raised to think of ourselves as overly self-sufficient, fiercely independent rather than interdependent. C.S. Lewis once said in The Four Loves that we can lock up our hearts safe in a vault in a casket where it won't be broken. Instead, it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love at all, Lewis says, is to be vulnerable. All across America today, we see this trend toward isolationism and self-protection. It's not a new social disease, but it has definitely been exacerbated by counterfeit mechanisms that make us feel connected temporarily, but ultimately they're poor substitutes for the real thing, face-to-face relationship. 
We've talked before on the show about the rise of social media time, screen time that 65% of the current generation connects with their friends via screen more than face-to-face. And this perceived sense of just general constant busyness, when you couple those with the stats on loneliness, bitterness, general anxiety, we have a recipe for socio-emotional disorder. You remember the words that Paul gave to the church in Corinth? He said, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, open wide your hearts also. Instead of closing our hearts off emotionally from others, God calls us to open wide our hearts in love. Opening our hearts to others increases the levels of support that we give and we receive. So let's dig into this friendship formula on behalf of the upcoming holiday, Valentine's Day. And let's talk first about some of the myths in friendships. You know, my Gen Z friends who've grown up in a culture that taught them to live and let live have embraced this myth. They, they were taught that a friend should never challenge you or cross you. you should, uh, friends should make you happy all the time, but that's not a biblical worldview. Proverbs 27, 6 says that faithful are the wounds of a friend, and but an enemy multiplies kisses. In other words, someone who flatters you is not necessarily your friend. Friendship is defined here as actually the willingness to speak truth, even if it hurts, when it's for the good of the person or the relationship. So a true friend will call you out to call you up, not look the other way. Myth number two is, I'm just friends with everyone. Proverbs 12, 26 says that a righteous person is cautious in friendship, chooses friends carefully. As Christians, we obviously have a biblical obligation to be friendly and kind to everyone, but that doesn't mean that every person you meet can or should become your inner circle of closest relationships. Our closest relationships, whether virtual or interpersonal, will definitely have an influence on who we become as people. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals, good character. So we need to choose our influences from people who are bearing good fruit because eventually we will become like those we surround ourselves with. Another myth that's common in Gen Z's is that the perfect BFF can meet all of your relational needs. But the the reality is that no one person is going to meet every relational need. Even your spouse can't be every single thing. You'll never share every single value, hope, dream, goal, like, dislike, favorite ice cream flavor with another person. It's just not realistic. If you have a few close friends, each of them will likely represent one aspect of your unique relational needs. And we can't actually be intimately close friends with everyone. Anthropologist Robin Dunbar looked at consistent patterns for human relationships and found that on average, most humans can handle five intimate friendships, 15 good friends, 50 close friends, and 150 total friends. And as that circle extends, the potential for relational closeness decreases. So for most people, that circle really really is about five people. Now, of course, we should always keep the door to friendship open because we never know when that next great friendship might be waiting in the wings, but we need to be realistic about the nature and the numbers of our friendships. Now, from a physiological and psychological friendship perspective, we know that friendship is very beneficial. Uh, an article in the Journal of Psychiatry noted a reduction in heart rate, blood pressure, cortisol levels, fewer incidences of diseases, even a longer lifespan for those who have socially supportive relationships. And one of the great things about social sciences, why they're so fascinating, is we can see these patterns of behavior that can inform our interactions. They And, and one of these fields of study is interpersonal relationships, the study of our talk today. Uh, And from these studies on interpersonal communication, we actually see that friendship is 
formulaic. I know that sounds a little robotic or simplistic, So let me give you just a simple example. You can't gain emotional closeness with another person unless you reveal something about yourself. Simple, straightforward, self-disclosure. That's one of the formulas we'll be unpacking on this episode. Now, I know that word formula makes people nervous. It sounds like friendship is unnatural. It's non-grass-fed organic. It doesn't mean that there are never exceptions to the patterns, but one of the tremendous benefits of research is that it actually helps us to analyze patterns and see those patterns and use them to better approach our own relational challenges. Let's look at this word identity. Big word today in the general culture, definitely in the public school culture, a big word uh, that's being completely misrepresented. But the concept of identity is a relatively stable set of attitudes that defines who you are or who you think you are. And it's a subjective self-image that comes from our past experiences. It guides our interpretation of what we learn about ourselves through our interactions with others. American sociologist and professor George Herbert Mead said that our Identity is formed through our interactions with others and our feelings about ourselves. Charles Horton Cooley described this as a looking glass self, a mirror perception that we adapt of ourselves based on what we think others see in us. And in this view, identity is the culmination of how we perceive others to be, how we perceive ourselves to be perceived by others. We're looking in the glass and, and reflecting back what others, we think others are thinking about us. And Along that self, that same line, self-acceptance, which is defined in the social sciences as having a high regard for yourself, not arrogant or cocky, just that you have self-worth, value. There's a fascinating correlation here for a relationship because as we look at these patterns, we see that the more self-accepting you are, the greater your level of self-disclosure will be. Remember, we talked about that a moment ago. The less self-accepting you are, the less you self-disclose, probably because of the intense fear of rejection that would confirm what we already believe about ourselves. See the trick here? It's it's really it's really fascinating and it creates this cycle. The less we self-disclose, the less likely we are are to develop and maintain deep relationships. That is a formula. As Dr. John Stewart notes in the book, Building Bridges, Not Walls, psychologically healthy people tend to see themselves as being liked, capable, worthy, acceptable to other people. And Yes, of course, there's a spectrum here, but at the foundation, we see a pattern. The better, the healthier our view of ourselves, the better our treatment of others. Now, Jesus alludes to this concept in the tiny but very important caveat he provides when he ranks the great commandments in response to the Pharisees' question, which one is the greatest? And Jesus says the second greatest commandment is to love others as we love ourselves. And those four little words at the end of the phrase are cornerstones for our interactions with others. He's telling us not to be self-absorbed narcissist. He's saying that we will ultimately treat others as we treat ourselves and as we expect to be treated for better or for worse. And the social science research really demonstrates that as well. So let's look at some of the practical ways we can utilize these findings of social sciences to help navigate the arena of relationships. Now, we've talked previously on the show about some of the social trends in modern culture, for example, social media, how it breeds isolation, perfectionism. These are enemies of friendship, how loneliness has actually reached 
epidemic proportions around the globe. Um, in 2019, the United Kingdom appointed a minister of loneliness to deal with the country's epidemic. And in the US, the Center for Disease Control says that the lonely, that loneliness in Gen Z's has reached epidemic proportions. In fact, a 2022 study in Psychology Today said that 73% of Gen Z's report feeling alone, the highest level of any generation. So it's clearly a significant issue that we want to talk about. One of my favorite relational patterns in the social sciences was theorized by Dr. Mark Knapp. He was a professor at the University of Texas, and he developed this model that gives us this really great visual, the stair-step formula of relational development. It's called Knapp Stages of Relational Development, aptly called. Uh, the model is this two-sided staircase. So if you picture a left side, a platform at the top, and a right side of the staircase. That'll help you kind of track along with the idea visually. And he says this is, it looks at everything from a budding relationship, a relationship getting started, to a dying relationship. And we'll talk about a Gen Z parallel uh, after I explain what nap stages are like. And what's so fascinating about this is you really can see these patterns of behavior acting out all around you, but also more importantly, you can take action. If you see a relationship that you're in heading toward destruction, I know this sounds very dramatic, but I want us to become a culture that values relationships. I want us to stop seeing relationships as the equivalent of paper plates that we just throw away when we're finished using them. I want us to start to value friendship, relationship as heirloom China, precious, unique, irreplaceable. So let's look at how relationships develop. You know, there are factors that social scientists have shown to be important. Again, going back to those patterns, many dating sites have picked up on these as well. Proximity is an important one. That means you have to have regular interactions with one another. You know, the old joke about the MRS degree in college, or maybe your church says, find your spouse in the house. You know, those are part of that ideology that close interactions with another person give us opportunities to get to know each other. And similarities and our likes and our dislikes often draw us together. Although we might connect with somebody who has op opposite traits, as Paula Abdul reminded us in the 80s, opposite attract, opposite attract. But even, even so, though, for the relationship to truly thrive, we do need to have enough of a base of core values that are similar, even if our likes and our hobbies are different. And so nap stages fall along this stair-step line. And the left side of the stairwell is called coming together. This includes initiation, the stage where we're making an impression on the person. And a lot of this phase is based on our overall appearance, which includes how we dress, but also how the person interprets that visual information. The second stage is called experimentation because in this phase, people look for common interests so they can decide if they want to maintain a relationship on any level. So that means we have to have conversations. We have to ask questions of the other person. We have to be brave and take risks and face the potential of rejection. In fact, there is no possibility of true relationship without the risk of rejection. Let me just put that out there. We have to develop a level of resilience to that. The third step on the stage is called, in the side is called intensifying. And this is where people become a little less formal. They let their guard down, reveal who they are. They look for ways to strengthen the relationship, like maybe giving gifts or spending more time together. There is, if there's no disclosure in this stage, even moderate disclosure in the initiative phase, the relationship won't develop. We simply cannot have deep and meaningful relationships with other people if we cannot yield ourselves to disclosure. And if all your relationships seem superficial right now, this is likely the culprit. 
Ask the Lord to show you what you're holding back and what you need healing in, in order to trust. The fourth step on the coming together side is called integration. Now for a romantic couple, this is when they'd start to be seen as an item for a friendship uh, or business relationship. This could be grouping. It could be a we delineation where others begin to see more of an interconnectedness to the two entities. And the final step in the coming together side of the stair step is called individuation. This is so fascinating. This is a phase where we develop or display a strong sense of individuality within the relationship. So we have a sense of our uniqueness, but we also see ourselves as a we. I'm a me and a we. Now, this is a tricky phase because if we fall too far into the other side of the parallel stair step, differentiation, then we get too focused on how different we are from the other person. And that becomes the point of contention because the other side of the stairwell shows the stages of coming apart or relational disintegration. Now, Again, I know this formulaic idea sounds a little unbelievable, but as you hear the stair steps, think about a relationship that you've had that's ended or is in this, in this ending stage and see if these stages don't just accurately describe it. On the coming part stage, we have differentiating, circumscribing, stagnating, avoidance, and then termination. And differentiation is that point where we start to think as a me instead of a we on a consistent basis, where we become less willing to work for the good of the team, more focused on serving our own needs, our own agenda, our own interests. Now, again, there's a balance needed here because we do need healthy dialectical tension between individuation and differentiation, but we can't fall too far on one side or the other for very long without the relationship being adversely affected. Isn't that fascinating? Now, after differentiating becomes, comes circumscribing, and that's where we start applying limits to conversations. We stop having authentic discourse. That leads to stagnation where there's a lack of growth. Communication becomes limited. The relationship fails to develop and flourish. And from here, typically it's avoidance where partners in, avoid contact, restrict communication. Often they don't want to have an argument, so they don't talk about something. And then these gaping relational wounds develop. And pretty much after this stage, inevitably termination will follow if we don't make the efforts to move that relationship back to the sweet spot at the top of the staircase. Now, Gen Zs, if you're a Gen Z or a millennial cusper, right in the edge there of Gen Z and millennial, social media and screen time use have dramatically affected these stages of relational development. And in talking with Gen Zs, this is my adaptation of the stages I see in them. Step one is hanging out with a group. Step two is talking, which is the one-to-one uh, where they start to, start to initiate interest and see if there's a connection. Step three is low-key official. That's kind of what what Gen Z's call the soft launch. They don't want many people to know. They might post a casual picture at dinner with the other person. I'm not making this up, showing just their hand, you know, shoveling up a mouthful of food, but no, nothing official until step four. Step four is social media official. That's when it's a real thing. On the relational termination side, we see similar patterns, but again, very Gen Z specific, venting vaguely on social media about not being understood rather than having a direct confrontation, a conversation with the other person about what you're frustrated with. 
posting it on social media to people who can't solve the problem is not uh, a consistent or healthy pattern of dealing with the issue. And then that's usually followed by ghosting, which is disappearing. Um, and I, you know, when I look at some of these reasons, the shift, I, I definitely see this general over familiarity with others. I think this is the result of oversharing on social media, peering into the lives of strangers, hearing turmoil and frustrations that previously would have just been shared in the context of personal relationships. I actually saw this shift happening around 2005, 2006. I saw this trend in student journals and classroom introductions where in previous generations, I would have to pull details out of students. They were very self-protective and that was a characteristic of that generation. But suddenly students started sharing just too much too soon. On the first day of class, they'd pour out their whole life story to a room full of strangers. Now, self-disclosure is is important. It's vital. And it's not just sharing our success stories, our highlight reel. It is peeling back the veneer and sharing our trials as well as our triumphs. But it should be... Um, it should be reciprocal in nature. It should be part of a deepening relationship. If you share something and the other person doesn't open that door back to you, that can be a red flag. Remember the scene in Star Wars where Princess Leia finally admits her feelings for Han Solo and takes a risk for self-disclosure by saying, I love you. And how does he respond? Instead of reciprocating, he says, I know. That's not what I'm talking about for reciprocation. It should be uh, both, both sides, a mutual sense of deepening of affect, emotion, trust. And I think the other significant shift is the fear of missing social cues. This is stemming from adaptations in the brain. We see this in research, teens lacking empathy, a clear connection to screens, especially I think video games where there's a common thread of living vicariously, watching somebody else have an adventure instead of making your own. And we can definitely talk more about that in a future show. But on the terminating side, we see the rise of ghosting, which is totally conflict avoidant. It's not healthy. It's not the biblical model, uh, but it's definitely prevalent. And Gen Z's tell me they think these shifts come from being raised in a culture of idealistic movies, social media, and parents who told them do the opposite of me. You know, parents, our kids need role models. They need examples. Even in writing papers in class, they need a specific example. So how much more so in the arena of relationships our cultural rule book tells us to be independent, to celebrate personal freedom and autonomy, but without others to challenge and sharpen us, we will remain stagnant or will fall into the cultural cesspool of isolationism and its emotional and physiological downfalls. God has given us support systems that can help others and help us serve as the hands and feet of Christ. This is the true definition of biblical friendship. If you're new to the show or you're homeschooling for the first time, you can catch all the episodes on my podcast at cvcu.us. If you're in 11th grade, you can apply to cvcu.us today. Be sure to check out our scholarship page for thousands of dollars in scholarship opportunities. Our debt-free model is the lowest price for your university on the West Coast. And of course, if you're K to 12th, we have tuition-free homeschool support classes at our Chula Vista campus just for you. If you're a pastor, click the Start and Academy tab at cvcus to join the rescue mission at your church. We can have you up and running in just four weeks. Again, I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and thanks for joining me today on today's show. I'll be back next week with more of our toxic trait analysis and some developmental tips that will reset your relationships. I'll see you then. Thanks again for joining us here on The Communication Architect. If you have questions about today's episode, or if there are topics you'd like to see us address, send your comments via Instagram to at Dr. Lisa Dunn or via email to contact at drlisadunn.com. That's D-R-L-I-S-A-D-U-N-N-E.com. 
And remember, strategic communication will help you build greater emotional health and relational resilience. So don't miss the next episode. I'm Dr. Lisa Nunn, and I look forward to talking with you next time right here on The Communication Architect.